Hello, everyone, and welcome to the second episode on the podcast, My American Dream. And this time I have the privilege of talking to a very good friend of mine and one of the founders of the app, which is called the Interpreter Tab. This is a wonderful tool that helps bridging language barriers. Please welcome Victor Bundis. Let everybody know how we met. Uh, we met with you uh, via the business project. And yes. uh, this project involves uh, languages. Yes, correct. Uh, language access. And when you said that um, you're working on your dream, uh, trying to make other people's lives better. Yes. And I look at this or i see this as one of the aspects how you uh try to help people yes yes writing the language access um eliminated that uh language barrier exactly absolutely absolutely remind me i don't remember if we talked about it probably you did tell me but so what what happened was um i so this was back when, well, this is, we were still like doing what's called due diligence, right? So I was just pretty much looking at, at what, what else was out there. You know, I was trying to get as much, um, as much inspiration, but most importantly, as, um, as much, uh, feedback as I can get. Right. So I started Googling, um, interpreter um like you know interpretation podcasts and things like that and i came across um uh i think it's called in your own words bertine's you remember bertine uh bertine's um, uh yes yes so, in, in other words that's the name in of other the words podcast. in other words yeah, yeah. so i i got in i i came across in other words and uh, um you know i i i subscribed to the podcast and i started listening you know, to the, the podcast that she had, because, you know, it, it revolved around interpretation and translation and various other things. And in that, you know, in, in her catalog, in, in her catalog, I saw one specifically for uh, VRI, right? You know, virtual, you know, um, you know um, video. video remote interpreting. I think that's the episode where you were, where it was just, uh, where it was you and her, you were just talking about the, um, so, so then, so like listening to that, podcast i just googled um i just googled your name and came across uh your linkedin and that's when i reached out to you i was just like all right i mean that's you know i mean that's how it is when you're trying to when you're trying to learn more you're trying to just you know get as much feedback or as much information or as much you know you want to ask questions to the people that have the experience so that's that's kind of how i I remember that's what you said you always talk to yeah. people who have the experience or like Bertine says, uh, you always talk to people who are 10 steps ahead of you. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I, I, after listening to the, uh, to the podcast, I, I, you know, I Googled you, I, 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 um, I connected on LinkedIn and that's when I sent the message and we just, we, you know, kicked it off from there. And I remember when you connected with me and we started talking and I didn't realize that you were in Chicago and Correct. I was talking to you like you're somewhere in Pennsylvania or somewhere right. <laughs> far away. 
And yes. then we eventually figure out that um, we are both We're in Chicago and we in the same city in person because this is what happens when you try to establish the relationships with people. You the, the in person meeting. This is the the true one because you feel the body language, you feel the vibe, and absolutely. Everything. Yeah, that's when you came to uh, 1871, and where we, um, yeah, yeah. I remember it's 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 a pretty impressive what I saw there, and uh, I saw where all these Chicago businesses are built, and there is even um, the website or some kind of platform. I usually get uh, the emails from them. It's called Built in Chicago. And they feature all these companies that were built in Chicago. And I oh, yeah. you, uh, that uh, incubator, this is the place where they create all those businesses. Absolutely. It's a great resource. Um, it's, it's a place where there are a lot of mentors. There's a lot of other entrepreneurs. Everyone's always willing to help. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a place where you go when you want to, when you want to, when you, wanna, when, you <clears throat> when you have that startup, you know, and, but like everything else, you know, it, it costs, it costs money. So you really have to um, uh, be wise on how you, you know, how you use it and how long you're there and, and uh, you know, things like that. But it's, it's, sure. you know, sure. it's and definitely great. I think that we have to mention that, uh, um, you're one of the uh, co-founders or founders of the uh, app platform, yes. and there is also the website. Uh, it's called uh, Interpreter Tab, and um, this is a great tool. Um, and I represent that. I I have three years of experience of interpreting on the video. I think it's a wonderful tool, and this is what you guys created. You created the platform that helps uh, people who don't speak English uh, to understand what's going on, right? And uh, uh, there are two modes available. Yes, um, it's, so Interpreter Tap is a, it's a mobile application that connects you to a live interpreter via video or audio. Um, so we were, as a, well, I'm, I'm, you know, as, as an interpreter, as an in-person interpreter, I was already very well aware of companies like um you know like language line companies like boost lingo and, and and in demand and but what i what i what i saw was that they they do for the most part and specifically um medical which is good because that's you know i mean it's very necessary it's you know it, it's one of you know the most important places you know where, where you know where it's needed um but I also saw that it was it left they left out a lot of other small industries, but that are just as important in my mind, you know, because you you know, so I'm talking about, you know, H small businesses, HR departments, um, you know, uh, uh pro bono attorneys or those, you know, those small, you know, those, those small those small immigration offices or even, you know, holistic medicine, you know, pe you know, the, the non traditional medicine. That that's very that's very popular now, um, it, you know all all of those type of other uh, uh, industries, uh, you know those small, you know those small factories or 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 um, uh, uh, shipping and receiving and things like that. I saw were getting left out, and 
And we, we said, well, you know, why can't we make this accessible to those people? You know, why can't there be a platform? I know there, you know, I know, I, I know, you know, companies like Language Line and In Demand and, and you know, and, and these companies that make, you know, millions of dollars off of, of, of medical maybe do not want to take the time to attend to those, um, which is fine. I get it. You know, they right. have investors. They have, you know, they, they have uh, a board of directors and investors that they have to keep happy. And that's completely understandable. Um, but somebody has to attend to them. You know, somebody has to take care of, of the forgotten, you know, of that forgotten, you know, uh, uh, space, that, forget, the, that forgotten demographic of people, you know. Sure. And that's where interpreter tap comes in, you know. Uh, that's that was the that's is not was that is the vision of interpreter tap is have, you know, people more comfortable, you know, approach their HR department when they want to talk about, you know, maybe starting a four hundred one k, maybe getting some type of medical insurance, maybe, you know, uh, talking about their benefits or whatever the case may be, you know, I've, I've worked and traveled in tourism in the hospitality industry for, for over 15 years. And one of the, one of the things that I saw the most is, is specifically that is, is, is hourly, you know, hourly employees, or they call back of the house employees scared or maybe not scared, but nervous. So, you know, approach their HR department, whatever it may be. It may not necessarily be about something like, you know, pay, but, you know, maybe they're being harassed or maybe there's just not an uncomfortable workplace or maybe, Absolutely. you know, the boss is taking advantage or there's so many things that, you know, that, that, that they're afraid or, or don't feel confident enough to approach their HR department or, 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 or sometimes even their department head. Um, because of that language barrier, and, and we figured, you know what, this this is, this can change, you know, this can change people's lives. This could help those small businesses um, with their workforce development. Um, I mean, there's just the potential is infinite on how it could it could help uh, everyday people. On on the flip side, um, not only were we just thinking of them, but we were, you know, we had in mind those small. Um, um, you know, offices, insurance offices, or whatever uh, um, that are that, that cater to limited English proficient communities. You know, a bank, whether it be a, a branch, you know, a branch of a bank, or whether it be a you know a, a car dealership, or whether it be um, you know uh, somebody that gives out loans or things like that. That maybe you know they could have better access to language service professionals so they could attend to their community. Maybe, you know, having someone that's available at the, you know, at the drop of a dime, um, they could ask better questions. They can, you know, not just take, and I don't want to ramble on here, but like, I'm, 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 you know, I'm first generation Mexican American. And the thing was every, you know, growing up, every time my grandmother or, or, or a family member that didn't speak English, um, wanted to achieve something, whether it be maybe they wanted to go open a bank account, maybe they wanted to go pay a bill, maybe they wanted to, you know, go ask questions as to, you know, how do they cancel something or whatever the case may be. Um, I always had to go along with my grandmother. I always had to go with my grandfather or an aunt or an uncle, right? And, and we were kind of the ad hoc interpreters. But also, a lot of times, maybe they didn't feel comfortable. You know, maybe they felt I, – I, I could see sometimes that they felt uncomfortable that I was there, that they were putting me in that situation. 
Um, are, are you talking I, about I, your family members when yes, you interpret? They exactly. weren't comfortable. And oh, it, I, I felt that they, maybe they could have been. They might have been. You know, maybe embarrassed. Maybe you know, m m my grandmother having to take us to the bank and talk about her finances on. for a person you know because then you have to hear what they're saying you have to hear oh you're late on your payments oh you owe this much oh your line of credit is this bad or things like that you know and, and and i know you know i mean it's just a point of pride for people you know and i feel you know why you know maybe you can eliminate that maybe you can give them more confidence to you know to approach and you know, that's that's one of the reasons uh why um the linguistic industry promotes professional uh, interpretation service uh, because especially in the medical medical field, I've seen that myself many times when uh, a son uh, interpreted for his mother and she was diagnosed with cancer or some other mm -hmm. major disease. And it was embarrassing when a son delivers that kind of news to his mother. But um, that was my question to you, and uh, you actually started talking about it. Um, you mentioned th that you are first-time generation uh, of uh, Mexican American family immig mm -hmm. immigration here. So, yeah. what's what's your heritage? What's uh, your background? You are coming from Mexico, right? Uh, so, my mother and my father are both born and raised in Mexico. Um, my sister, my older sister, me and my brother are the first, um, the, the first generation were the first people of their, their family born outside of Mexico, so in the U.S. Um, our family only spoke Spanish at home because not too many spoke English, so <clears throat> like most, or like a lot, like a, like a good percentage of, not just Latinos, but, you know, first generation immigrants, uh, uh, kids, um, our first language is not English. Our first language is actually in my household. Our, my, my first language is actually Spanish. Uh, I didn't learn English till I got through kindergarten. Even though I'm born and raised in Chicago, um, my the, the first language I ever spoke was, was Spanish. And that's because, because that's what my family spoke. Because you lived in the Spanish spoke. community? And well, not just because I lived in a Spanish community, but because I lived in a Spanish-speaking household. There wasn't um, too many people that spoke English in the household. So and what about the, the outside of the house when you yeah, absolutely yeah outside I mean outside and and yeah you know you you learn a little bit watching you know watching cartoons and things like that but I I really didn't learn English as a as a language you know talking about grammar and, and pronouns and, and you know and things like that until I started going to school um and yeah so that's that was pretty much how 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 you know I, I was able to ma master in a sense you know both both languages that's why i can i read i read write and speak spanish and you know obviously you know read write and speak uh uh, uh english so that's why kind of i guess being an interpreter was kind of a no-brainer when i got the opportunity because i was able to, to to communicate you know on um on both ends so so yeah they came here um my my mother got here first. She actually arrived in 1966, which um, was, yeah, a long time. Um, my father arrived in 1970. They already knew each other in Mexico, but they didn't get married until they got here. Um, it was kind of a culture shock for my mother. So my mother, my, my mother, my aunt, my mother's the oldest, and then my aunt Teresa is the middle child, and then my aunt Maria is the, the, 
the youngest. And she was still, she was still very, she was still very young. When they got here in 1966, they had never, you know, they had seen, you know, African-American people on television and things like that, but they had never really seen an African-American person in, 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 in person. Well, a black person, a person of color, actually, you know, I mean, Latinos, we're, we're, we're people of color, you know, we're, we're, we're minorities, we're, we're considered people of color, but they never seen a dark-skinned, you know, sure. a, a, a black person, you know, per se. And so they got to Chicago. And back in those times, it was, you know, it was right in the middle of the civil rights movement here in the United States of America. So you could imagine the culture shock when they're coming from Mexico. They don't speak a lick of English. Um, they, are, they are forced to assimilate into a culture that kind of doesn't, doesn't you know, they kind of hang in the balance. I think that was one of the biggest struggles for Latinos back in, in, in you know, for, for, for new immigrants that were arriving, you know, Latino immigrants, not just Mexican, Puerto Rican, any, any Spanish speaking, you know, you know, person of color come immigrating to the United States during the civil rights movement was particularly kind of tough from what they tell me, because it was, you you were, they were stuck in the middle. They weren't, they weren't black, so they weren't necessarily looked down upon, but they weren't white either. So they weren't necessarily accepted, you know? So it, it was kind of, it was, it was kind of a weird dynamic for them. Uh, I'm coming to Chicago and, 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 you know, being forced to live, you know, it kind of, they um, lived in what's now called Little Italy over by the West, Western Avenue, Taylor Street um, area. Uh, they lived with, you know, a predominantly Italian neighborhood, which accepted them because they weren't black, um, but kind of kept them at a distance because they weren't white either, if you could understand what I'm saying. Absolutely. And so what that about was, the language? How did they uh, get by without the language? Well, and that was the thing. That was the thing. I mean, they were they were forced to, you know, to just take whatever they could at that moment, you know. So my 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 grandmother got a job right away working at a factory that did um like a seamstress type of thing, you know, clothing, doing sewing and things like that. Uh, Midwest Marco, and she ended up. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, well, I, mean, I know she retired there, but I think that's the I think that's the first job she had, and I believe that's the job that she ended up retiring from. Uh, that's fascinating. Here in the United States, yeah. She's been working all these years in the same facility. In the same yeah, absolutely, yeah, yeah. She's passed now. She passed away in 2010, and she she retired in the I guess in the late 90s or maybe even the mid 90s. She might have, she, I don't really remember when, but it, it was probably about mid-90s, late-90s that she retired. Um, and then she, she just passed uh, about six years ago in 2010. But yeah, she, she, I think that was the first job that she had at Midwest Marco, and then she ended up, uh, she ended up retiring. My, my aunt, my youngest aunt, uh, went to school right away because she was still school age. So they put her in school. She went to grammar school, ended up going to uh, high school. and. Um, ended up uh, working for the state of Illinois and she actually just retired a couple years ago. My mom, the same thing, went to, you know, took night school for English. Um, and another, uh, she also took a typing class because back then there were still typewriters. If you remember computers weren't even out yet, it was still typewriters. So she, she was taking English classes and type type classes, you know, and without the typewriter uh, in the evening, 
Um, and she ended up getting a job at um, this place called, oh, I forgot. They made like boat parts. This was here. In Chicago. Yeah, this was in Chicago. Well, Berkeley. Berkeley, um, uh, Berkeley Marine was the name of the place. Is the place like the place? It's not Berkeley Marine anymore, but the, the the like the place is still there. And I, I know every time we drive by, she's like, "Oh, I used to work there." And yeah, that was her first like like official job here in the United States, and you know, using a typewriter. You know, when you are saying all this, I'm really fascinated with the fact that your mom, she was studying at school, she was taking ESL classes, and she mm-hmm. was taking a typewriter uh, writing class. Yeah. Um, this is what I see being involved in the adult education in the world of ESL. Um, those people, students, they come to study, they take three hours twice a week away from their families. Absolutely. Every time. And they come there any weather. And your mother did the same thing. What was motivating her? Why did she decide to do that? So, Originally, it was originally it was to get out of the house, um, and this was because and and, and like I, and like I said before, I'm, I'm and you know me, I'm I'm a very uh, I I'm a very transparent person. I try to be yes, just like are. every like every like every family. You know, family's perfect. My grandfather, and this is what's weird because. I hear these stories about how my grandfather used to be with my, with my aunts, you know, with his, with his, with his kids, with, with my, with my mom and my sister. And then I remember the way he used to be with me and my sister. And I hear, you know, I hear these stories about how, you know, I, you know, like, like most male Latinos, it's just something about the culture. It's a very, um, it's a very masculine, um, I often uh, hear the uh, word culture, you know, macho, macho. Yeah, machismo. It's a very mach- machismo-based culture, right? So it was kind of like, you know, what it was his way or the highway, and that's just kind of the way it was, you know, cultural thing, you could say. And and yeah, and he wasn't, the, you know, he wasn't the the, the nicest uh, uh, father. But in my case, I don't know. I, something must have happened, and my my mother says this all the time. Something happened when 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 my sister was born. Because he just did a whole 360. Like I don't, I don't remember my grandfather ever like being that person that they tell me that he used to be with them. But going back to your original question, that's that. Well, the biggest motivation at that moment was to get out of the house. She needed to find a way to get a job to get money because she just, you know, she wanted to, she wanted to get out of the house. But then, so this was like this was winter of 1966. Um, and then in 1970, when my father arrived to Chicago, um, and he got a job, that's when they finally moved out. He asked her to, to he asked her to uh, to marry. They got married a, f- a couple years later, and then you know the rest is history. Um, but from then on, at that moment, after. After she had her kids, her motivation was just her kids. You know, her motivation was us, which is why she ended up, you know, where, where she ended up now. She um, she just, uh, my mother, about two years ago, she just retired from um, Children's Memorial Hospital. 
Nice. So she's living comfortably. You know, she has her she has her building. She owns her own property. Um, she owns a two flat. She rents out the first floor. She um, you know, lives in the second floor. Um, you know, just living the American dream. You know, she got here. She struggled. She made it. She you know she's has a piece of property. You know, she's making her. You know, she's getting her her, you know, her Medicare. She's enjoying. You know, enjoying the rest of her life pretty much. She says this all the time. She's like, you know what? I'm just gonna enjoy what I have left of life with my with my kids, which is us, with my grandkids, which is you know my my niece, um, and the rest of the family. You know, and that's that's that was the the blood of it. Um, my father, my parents got divorced um, when I was when I was young. So although you know they got married, they had that, but like everything else. Like everything else, you know, different, you know, everybody has different ambitions. My father had his, my mom had hers. And it just, you know, like most marriages, like a lot of marriages, it just didn't work out. You know what? He went his way. She went her way. We stayed with her. You know, she ended up being you know, a single mom, um, raising me, well, raising my, my aunt, my sister, my, me, and my, my little brother. Um, my father moved to Aurora, Illinois. And he eventually got remarried. And he's actually the one that got me into interpretation. He started his own interpretation company. And, and um, what was uh, motivating him to start the uh, linguistic company? So his motivation um, was also his kids because he was still, he was still, although they were divorced and he wasn't living with us, he was still a part of, of our, not daily life, but he was still in our lives. He was still in our lives. He would still, um, uh, uh, he would still help, um, you know, in, in any way that, that he could. Um, and with him, I think, and we go back to the same thing. He loves, he loves us. He's always loved us. Um, and he lives with me now, actually, now at his old age. He's, um, um, he's living with me. Um, but his motivation, I think, was a little bit more, was more the dollars. A little bit. I think his motivation was more was more the money was more you know what you know the prestige the you know the um, different lifestyle. Probably. Yeah, yeah, different, different lifestyle, lifestyle, just different you know different yeah different things. You know, he he still like I said he still loved his kids, but he just his was being the business owner, being the you know being being that person, being the person that the people know the you know the the prestige. And my mom was a little bit more low key. She's just like, whatever. I just want to, you know, I just want to have, you know, a roof over my kid's head, food on the table, and things like that. Um, it's interesting yeah. you're saying that because when we met, um, I saw a totally different trigger in you. Your mm -hmm. trigger, your motivation. Uh, when we were talking about the app, about um, the whole concept of interpreting. Your motivation is to help people. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and that's... And, and, go ahead. Sorry. Uh, yeah. To motiv your motivation is to help and to support. Yes. And, uh, because I guess this is because of your background, because you grew in a bilingual uh, house and you saw two cultures. And I'm really interested how you were coming out of that Hispanic culture, or maybe you are still there, 
I'm mm. always curious, how, how is that working? You're growing, you go to a daycare, you start learning a different culture, different language, and you come back home where everybody speaks Spanish. How was that transitioning for you? Was it successful? So, uh, you know, the good thing about our culture is, is very, um, it's very deep-rooted. And not only is it deep rooted, but especially in this country, there's there's so many of us that it's it's kind of Latino culture in a lot of ways is American culture. <laughs> you know, I mean, there's it 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 it, it, it kind of goes hand in hand. Yes, we had our own, you know, we had our own, um, you know, culture. But if growing up, growing up in inner city Chicago, you know, growing up in a in a low income community you know that's plagued with you know violence unfortunately there's you know there's you know it's it's your typical you know low income community you know unfortunately there's scarce resources you know there's there's gang violence there's you know there's just things that that make chicago chicago um but uh, that i mean that that's kind of it really wasn't hard in the sense that there were so many of us around that it just it just went hand in hand. I mean, Latinos have one way or another everything that I grew up with, whether it be you know hip hop music or break dancing or graffiti art or a lot of the things that 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 I, I love that I grew up with in the early '90s, um, late '80s, early '90s, um, have some type of Latino roots in it. You know, so that's why it was kind of like it, it was it was it was pretty much made by us in part by us as well. You know, some of the best break dancers were uh, Puerto Rican people from New York. Um, you know, some of the best uh, early, you know, early, early hip hop rappers were, you know, were, 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 were Latino. Um, you know, some of the best graffiti artists to ever bless, you know, the walls or the subway trains, the muralists have all been Latino back in the day. Some of the best uh, uh, DJs, um, have always been, you know, Latino. So, I mean, growing up, you know, and then, and then unfortunately, unfortunately, I say it, but, you know, everybody loves the bad guy. You know, I think here in the United States, in the American culture, everybody loves the bad guy, right? So even the criminals are glorified, right? So, you know, some of the most, you know, um, popular bad guys, whether it be on TV or in real life, have been Latino. So it's kind of like, it's always, you know, Latinos, Mexicans have always been, you know, a, a, a part of that. So assimilating wasn't too hard because we kind of had our own thing, you know. So it, it wasn't like maybe an Eastern European or somebody coming in and being like an outsider because one way or another, we've always been here. You know, you hear about the Chicano movement, you know, back in the 20s and the 30s and, you know, and and. You know, Latinos have always been a part of, of of American culture one way or another. So, so yeah, assimilating wasn't too hard. Now, when we're dealing with assimilation is one thing, but I think dealing with, you know, the, the bigotry and the racism that comes along with it was, was something new when I stepped out of my, my, my circle, you know, so growing up, Growing up in Chicago, growing up where I grew up, I was kind of in, you know, um, 
how you call it? I was like, I was like in my circle, you know. So I had what I had. But when I moved, when I moved to Champaign Urbana, out of out of Chicago for the first time, which was uh, Champaign Urbana is in Central Illinois. It's three. Um, it's about two and a half, three hours south of Chicago. Uh, that was my first time out of, you know, my, my, my circle, my, my, my area, right? So now I went from being, you know, one of hundreds of thousands of Latinos to just being one of a handful in my school. And that was very hard because at that point, what I, know, what I knew to be everyday life to them was was a um um what do you call it a um a stereotype right so I, I was a stereotype at that point it was just like oh do you you know do you go do this do you do that like and and that that was that was a hard pill to swallow for me because at that point I wasn't I was an outsider now um you know I was I was the Mexican kid, you know, I was Victor, the Mexican kid from Chicago amongst, you know, amongst, well, amongst a lot of white kids and good to do uh, uh, African-Americans. And I was the low income, you know, Mexican kid from, from, from Chicago. But it did feel, you know, yeah, yeah, that, that, that was, I think that was the hardest part of, of my, of my life was trying to assimilate to that because all they had was stereotypes. They didn't, you know, they didn't, they didn't have a Mexican neighborhood like Chicago does, Little Village, where you can go and, and you know, and, and, and be culturally, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, culturally diverse. Yeah. I, I have to say this when uh, you were talking about uh, Mexican culture being um, the biggest part of the American culture. That was um, a cultural shock for me when I came here. Mm -hmm. Being from Russia, we think about America, um, equal African-American people and white people. That's how we mm -hmm. think about America, right? But not Mexico. And when I came here, when I saw the amount of Mexican restaurants, Mexican food, Mexican people, and Spanish everywhere, I, I had a cultural shock. Because, of, because of the stereotyping, like you say. And I remember we had um, a very um, good conversation with you. And for me, uh, it was um, an eye-opening conversation. And I tell you why. If you remember, we talked about um, people of color. Yes. And we talked about business and how people um, accepted, people of color are accepted in the society and how... Um, you run or how people run businesses with them right we were talking like basically that white people have the priority everywhere including the business absolutely and to me it was i mean everybody knows that and i knew that by that time and i know it now but i guess i wasn't ready to actually talk about this right right my mind doesn't operate on that level because i come from the country where everybody is white right exactly. where we have many cultures many nationalities as well of course big country but still my mentality is different and when you were talking about stereotyping being in the college uh in champagne 
So you were saying that people were stereotyping about you. Correct. Are you stereotyping about people? Let's say when we met for the first time, I told you I'm from Russia, and you probably automatically thought, what, vodka, winter? A ab absolutely. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So, and that's, and yeah, and, and that's, you know, that's, and it's funny because it's, it's so very true. And that's why, like, that's what's so important, you know, when you're, when you've grown up in just, you know, in, in a predominantly, you know, Mex Latino, not just Mexican, because I was around Puerto Ricans, I was around Mexicans, I was around Cubans, uh, Guatemalans, Central Americans, you know, so I mean, I, I, I'll stop saying Mexican, because it's, it's a Latino culture, you know, when, when, when you're grown up in such a, when you're growing up in such a heavy, uh, po you know, Latino population, um, you do hear stereotypes, absolutely, or, 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 and so you, you do approach other cultures with certain prejudices, you know, like, you know, what, what you, because you don't know, because you've never been to, you know, ventured outside your circle. So absolutely, you know, when I got to, you know, you always heard about the, you know, the preppy, the preppy white people, you know. Um, and you know, what is that exactly, preppy white people? Uh, it's just you know the 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 private hard to explain the preppy white people. I mean, when you were when you know when you're an inner city kid, you hear about the you know the the debbies they call them the debbies. You know, ah, you know, like you like you know, you watch the movie Mean Girls and things like that. Like you just you know you have in your mind that that like they are like in their their they are just as yeah they they're just as I guess in in our reality they they're probably just as close minded as we are in our culture like you know like like sure. you said because it's just you know venturing out it, it's 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 about venturing out it's about going out there and being being culturally aware of, of of everybody else so so absolutely i had my own prejudices you know when i got to champagne urbana and and, and what i i pictured you know uh, uh, the white suburban lifestyle you know the was it difficult for you to adjust it absolutely was. It was, yeah, it, I think they accepted me for who I was a lot faster than I accepted them for who they were. Absolutely. I think because um, at the end of the day, because, and, and, but, but this goes, this goes back to what you were saying about, about the institutional racism and things like that. I, I think it's because of their, it's, and this is just my own personal feeling, but it's because of their white privilege that they really don't like, oh, yes, let's accept him. He's, you know, he's Victor. He's, you know, he's cool, but he's not a threat because we're, you know, we, you know, we're us and he's him and he is a nice person. So let's, you know, let's invite him in because he's not a threat to us in any way, you know? And, and go ahead. Sorry. Go ahead. Sorry to interrupt. Uh, sure. And what did it take you to gain that respect and to be accepted to their society? Believe it or not, being in high school, you know, being in high school is tough because I was in high school at that, at that time. My sister was the one in college. Um, you know, when you're, at, when, you're a high school, when you're a high school student here in the United States, there's a lot of pressure. There's a lot of pressure to belong. There's a lot of pressure to, and, and, th and things that I hear my, my parents and, and my cousins in Mexico um, talk about, you know, of course, there's always like, there's always groups. Um, 
but over there groups are just kind of structured by economic class you know there's people that have and then there's people that don't have but here um here there's people that have and then don't have but on top of that there's people that that are just you know people of color and and people that are not right so it, it was it was really strange and it was really hard and it was really tough and it was kind of emotionally draining sometimes um trying to figure out who it is you're going to appease you know which group or you know like which which group is it going to be the one that you kind of fit in and i realized that i i kind of really didn't fit in with any of them but in order for me to you know to, to survive i guess you could say um, I had to find somebody. So <clears throat> I played football. I, you know, my, my parents had me Little League Baseball, um, and I played football here. So uh, the group in high school that I was able to kind of be with were the jocks, you know, the, the football players. The, you know, and, and, and it was fun. It was fun. You know, I, play, I played varsity football. Um, I was a defensive tackle. So... I was able to hang around and I was able to be a part of that clique. You know, I was with the jocks. We would, you know, we would go to parties. And, you know, we would, you know, on game days, depending on what shirt, because you had the way, you had the home jersey and then you had the away jersey. So depending on what you were playing, that whatever you would wear the jersey that you were going to use that night, and then the other one you would give to like a cheerleader or a girl that you like or things like. That. That, right so that was kind of like you know like like it was kind of like a point of um uh it felt like empowering you know because you knew you, you knew like oh I'm, I'm gonna give this girl to wear my jersey today and this friday because we played on friday nights and if we were it was a home game I, I had my black jersey and i would give the white jersey to somebody you know to, to a girl or something you know and, and it was <laughs> they were always so proud to wear it and oh my god look at i'm wearing you know victor's jersey and that but it wasn't because it was Victor's jersey. It was because it was a football player's jersey. Right. You know, it was a varsity football player's jersey. And now here is a girl who, you know, who this varsity football player gave her the jersey to wear tonight. You know, so it's just it's little things like that, 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 you know, that I found, you know, cool. You know, I was just like, wow, I'm a part of this, you know. And, and, and that's kind of where I ended up being, like, accepted. And that ended up being my, my inner circle. Uh, those last couple years of of, uh, of high school, and believe it or not, after that, being away from being away from the Latino culture, from the first generation Mexican American culture that is here in Chicago, um, hurt. But it also, it unfortunately, it also meant being away from the gang violence and things like that, right? So, yes, I was upset that I had to leave my my, you know, what I was used to, I had to leave. Yeah, exactly. I, I had to leave, you know, my, my, my area, my city that I love so much. But by leaving that, I was also leaving those negative things that come with it, which is the, you know, which is the unfortunate reality of, of a lot of, you know, Latino neighborhoods uh, and black neighborhoods, you know, in, in the United States. So it was fun, believe it or not. It was fun. And for my, my, for my mother, um, I think for my mother at that point, being the immigrant, um, it was a sign of, it was a moment of success for her because she had, she came here, you know, from Mexico. She was an immigrant. She struggled. She made it, you know, she did what she could. 
she got married, she had her kids, you know, got the divorce, um, but still decided as a single mom to leave that and look for something better. You know, and that's when we moved to, to, uh, to Champaign-Urbana now. Because it was harder for my younger brother, my youngest. Um, it was very, it was a lot harder for him than it was for me. So when my sister graduated the University of Illinois and, moved, and, and got a job here in Chicago, they ended up moving back. Um, I still stayed out there a couple months, but I ended up coming back to Chicago too. Um, and it was a good, it was a good three years of my life. That was very fun. Uh, I enjoyed living out there. But, you know, it's just, it's hard to leave your cities. It's messed up. You know, as bad as people say Chicago is, I just, it's, I love it, man. I, I can't, you know, this, this is I, a part of me. And this is where, this is where that, that love that we were talking about. So, but my motivation, we go back to my motivation. My motivation comes from, you know, the immigrant story. Because if, if, if our application, if interpreter tap can help, an immigrant that's, you know, trying to do better for their kids, um, achieve the American dream a lot easier than it did for my, for my family, then that's a win. You know, if, 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 if my, if this application can help, you know, uh, an immigrant family, you know, get a very low interest, you know, refinance so they could send, you know, their firstborn to college, then that's it. You know, then you know what? It was, it was all worth it. If this application can, um, you know, if this application can get one mother or one father to, you know, enroll their family in, you know, Blue Cross Blue Shield, you know, and, and finally get up some decent medical insurance, but really, but really, you know, really speak to the agent and, and really ask the questions as necessary and find something that's, that's great. And not just the first thing that's available because you know, the, the agent only, you know, the one agent only speaks Spanish or, or whatever language that they speak and they have to go to that one agent. If they can spread it out and find the plan that's best for them, you know, may, may, maybe the plan that's best for them, the agent doesn't speak, you know, that, that language, but if they have access to it and they're able to find that and they're able to, to provide something better for their family, then 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 that's a win-win for me, uh, and and for and for the other Victor, and for everybody that's ever been a part of Interpreter Tap. So I mean that's that's kind of what it's about in our political climate now. Um, the way I see it is, I think our I don't want to say everybody, you know, but I think the majority, a, a good a good amount of our government officials have made it pretty clear that um that we're outsiders and that they don't want us to be a part of the american dream well that's absolutely fine you know that's that's fine that's your point of view but that just solidified interpreter tap even more because now now we realize that now they're they're letting us know that we're all we got you know we're all we have we have to look we you know they're they're letting it be known that we have to look out for each other not just not just on a cultural basis but on a religious basis they don't care if you're Muslim, they don't care if you're Latino, they don't care if you're black, they don't care. They're basically saying, you know what, Jewish at this point, because you've seen everything that's going on, you know, with, with the, with, with, in the 
uh, the unfortunate reality of, of now, you know, even the Jewish faith is under attack. The, you know, the Muslim faith is under attack. Latinos, you know, Central Americans, Mexicans are under attack. Uh, Black Americans are under attack. Um, and this is all coming from, you know, the, the, the upper echelons of, of, of the American dream, as you want to call it, right? Their American dream is different than what ours is. And, and I think that just makes it even, even stronger. That just proves our point even more that what we've been saying along that without each other, without something like this, um, we're not, we're just, we're just gonna, you know, they're trying to keep us down. They're trying to keep us, you know, minimized. They're trying to keep us marginalized. Um, but we have the power of numbers. We have the power of our our cultures. Um, you know, my you know, the Latino culture, as well as you know the the the, the African American Southern culture um, that's deep rooted in in faith. That's deep rooted in 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 you know respecting your elders, just just like the you know the Latino culture is. Um, the majority of 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 people of the Islamic faith that I've met um, are nothing, are absolutely nothing, like what they're telling us that they are. I've I've every 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 person every person of the Islamic culture that I've ever met, whether it be at work or whether it be an interpretation, has been the most authentic person. They've been. Um, They've been very humble, and they've been very a lot more open-minded. I mean, a lot more open-minded than 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 people in my own culture a lot of times. So you know, I'm against all of that. I'm against all of that rhetoric, and I know that if we're if we're able to come together and we're and we're able to make not just interpreter tap, but other 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 things that other cultures that we can all use together to kind of strengthen build up our strength in numbers, build up our economic force, build up our, our, you know, you know, start providing for ourselves, you know, maybe going back to what you were saying about, about business, it's the unfortunate reality of, of, of people in tech, in the tech world is that it's so disproportionately white and male. Um, You know, white, white males are the ones with the money, white, old white males are the ones that are financing the other applications or their other, you know, startups or the other businesses. It's hard. It's hard for a woman as it is. It's hard for a woman to be a co-founder and a CEO that has a great product or a great service to get any type of funding, you know, for that startup. It's, it's almost, it's, it's very hard. And, and and this is and this is and this is for for white women. So you could imagine how hard it would be for a, for a woman that's a person of color as well. You know, you know I mean, a lot it's of just examples of successful women who are. Uh, oh, absolutely! I know a lot of them, and and all of them, and they achieve a lot of business. Absolutely, absolutely, and all of them will tell you that the hardest part was was that was getting that funding, getting getting. The, the hardest part was shredding those waters of getting somebody to, to, to believe in you. Why? Getting past the fact that you're a woman and getting past the fact that you're a woman of color. One, so you have two battles to fight, you know, not just being a woman, but being a woman of color. Because it's, it's hard in the tech world or, or, or in these new fields to, you know, to, to, to break through if you're a woman. Now, you know, so it's the same for males, you know, it's the same for us. It's the same for any, it's the same for any startup that's, you know, but that's just the way it is. You know what? We and work it, our way around it. 
And that's exactly. And I think that's the beauty of uh, this country. And this is the idea of this country. Uh, this is how it's built. Uh, so many cultures. Uh, look at Japan. Absolutely. This is the melting pot of melting pot, yeah, yeah, of many cultures, and uh, yeah. it's wonderful when you go downtown Chicago. You hear all these different languages, and you see different uh, people, different skin color. I mean, it's just fascinating. Yes, it's great. Uh, you don't need to go anywhere. <laughs> you really don't. I mean, you could find everything in Chicago. I mean, I've I've eaten Ethiopian food here for the first time. You know, most of the you know. Most of the most of the exotic food from other countries, it's it's all been here in Chicago. That's another um, big topic. Yeah, uh, food, cuisine, uh, whatever yeah, you want. Absolutely, try, you can try it here in Chicago. Absolutely. Let me ask you this: um, being the the born and raised here, and uh, belonging to two cultures, what is your American dream, if you have any? <sighs> mm -hmm. My American dream at this point is, um, you know what, I think it goes evolving. In my case, in my own personal case, um, because I've, I've grown up in the environment that I grew up, I've made the mistakes slash bad decisions early in life um, in my teenage years that got me into some trouble. Um, and I was able to, um, you know, surpass all that and, and better myself, um, and, you know, and, and become a professional and, and, and do, and do these things. Um, I think at this point in my life, my American dream is to make the people around me better, uh, do what I can to make them better. Um, I do a lot of, I do a lot of speaking, um, to to young inner city high school kids um actually just last week i was at uh, maria high school it's called uh, catalyst maria high school doing a um uh entrepreneurship panel about people inter, inter um entrepreneurship panel for people of color and it was it was it was myself and three other co-founders um of, of other companies and services that went out to speak to the high school kids at Maria High School. Maria High School is in the south side of Chicago. It's um, it's predominantly Latino and black, and pretty much 80, 90% are low income. So they're in the same box that I kind of was growing up. And they, I think they see this, not only do they see the same struggles, but they're not able to see the light at the end of the tunnel, kind of like I was. and. And then I think, I think speaking to them and speaking to people like them in their situation and seeing where we're at, we may not be super successful, but you know what, we're, for, we're in the front lines. If, if I lose this battle or interpreter tab goes nowhere or whatever the case may be, um, I think the people behind me see that and they say, well, you know what, for whatever reason, for whatever roadblocks, Victor wasn't able to get interpreter tap off. But you know what? I'm gonna do this because I saw Victor do it. You know, you know, you get what I'm saying. So it's just like I, just like I'm pulling them, they're pushing me, and and like every other culture, like every other generation, um, you know, some people have to die so others can live, 
And if we're the culture, if, if, we're, the, if we're the generation that, that has to lose, and not, fig, you know, not literally, but figuratively speaking, right? Like if, 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 if we have to kind of live marginalized, my, my nieces and my, my, um, cut, my nieces and my nephews can have something better, then you know what? Then it's a win-win. Then my American dream was fulfilled. My, my American dream of, of, of providing something better for the people behind me, that's, that's, that's it. I mean, that's, I think I can die happy knowing that my nieces and my nephews um, are in a better place because of something I was able to do or this, not do. This is you know? a I mean, mission. This is great. And um, you are reading me right now. The reason I decided to start this podcast, one of the reasons is because when I came to America, I didn't have a role model. I didn't mm-hmm. have that person who would show me another America, who would uh, motivate me, who would uh, show the bright side of it or what I can achieve if I work hard. Right. And I had to open all the doors myself, uh, which I'm absolutely happy about. But now when we are talking about it, I'm saying I wish I would have that person back then and I would be more motivated and maybe I would achieve more faster. But this is what you are doing right now for those young kids. You are motivating with your story. And even now when you're sharing your story on this podcast, people will hear this story. And uh, maybe there is another Victor who is coming from the same background will hear your story and get motivated. How wonderful. Absolutely. It is. Absolutely. It is wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, you know what, there's nothing wrong with, there's nothing wrong with not succeeding, you know, and a lot of things. I think people, that's what, that's what, that's what makes people fail in a lot of things is the, the fear of not succeeding. Not succeeding doesn't mean failure. It just means, you have to try something different. I mean, you know, you just like you only fail when you stop trying. Um, you just gotta keep, you just gotta keep going at it. You know, you don't, you know, not succeeding, not succeeding does not equal failure. That's something that I've always, that I've always learned. You know, failure is, is the lack of trying. Failure is when you stop trying, and just I, I you think can't. many people um, fear that, and also to make that first step, that takes a lot of courage. Mm-hmm. Or people do it, they say, oh, I don't think I will be successful because this might happen, that might happen. Okay, let's forget about it. Mm-hmm. And another person who says, whatever, if this and that happens, at least I learned my lesson. Absolutely. But I think that first initial step, this is the biggest part of Absolutely. every big journey. They say that every big journey starts with small steps. That's, that's what it is. Absolutely. I, 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 that's, and that's why I figure, you know what, if I can be, so if I can be the foundation for something else, you know, like look at the skyscrapers we have today, you know, it took, I mean, it took generations for them to realize what they can do better to make them how they are. Right. I mean, somebody had to fail. Some, some buildings had to fall 
you know, in order to learn that this can't be done this way. It has to be done this way. Right. So, I mean, that's just the way it is for us. It's the way it's going to be for, for immigrant, for the, for the immigrant, for the new immigrants coming in. It's going to be like that for all the other generations that follow, you know, it's going to be that way for, you know, for my, not just my generation, but my nieces and my nephew's generation that are, you know, that are following behind me. It's going to be like, you know what? Our, you know, their buildings fell because of this, but you know what? Now we're going to start building them this way, and they're just and they're going to get bigger, you know. And then they're they're you know when their buildings fall, you know the generation behind them is going to get bigger, and it's just you know that's kind of figurative, figuratively the way I see it, you know. Helping forward, yeah. building absolutely, falling forward, absolutely. It's just like okay, they didn't do they didn't do nothing wrong, you know. They didn't you know yeah their buildings fell, but look what they created at the end of the day, you know, and that's you know so. That's that's the way I see it. So you mentioned uh, people who come to this country. Um, if you talk to those people who are new immigrants here, what mm -hmm. would you give to those people? Um, don't be... I don't want to say scared because they're not scared. I mean, I mean they're not... I don't want to say scared, but don't be... Don't be Yeah, don't be scared. You know, I mean, you're, you, the courage that you had to come here, the courage that you had to do whatever it is you had to do to get here, um, is the same courage that you need to to move forward. Um, reach out. Do not be afraid or nervous to reach out to other to other people, other cultures. Some of the biggest, um, some of the biggest help, um, for a lot of the Latino you know entrepreneurs have been um have been black entrepreneurs but also have been um uh 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 entrepreneurs of 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 other cultures right not necessarily people of color but you know you're you're always going to you're always going to find help from somebody that understands your struggle and you'd be surprised who understands your struggle. They don't necessarily have to be from your faith or your country or your area or your part of the, of the world. Um, there's a lot of African immigrants, um, you know, Arab immigrants that have a whole nother language and a whole nother culture than the Mexican, than the Latino culture. But you'd be surprised how many of our struggles are all the same here in the United States, right? Now, I'm not, I'm not talking about their, their native countries here. You'd be surprised how many of the roadblocks are the same. And if if one demographic has, if you see, wherever you're at in the United States, whether it be, you know, whatever demographic, here, I'm going to give you an example. In Dearborn, and my sister lives in Dearborn, Michigan. In the suburbs of Detroit, in that area, there's a very, very, very huge Arabic population of, of, all, of all countries, Palestinians, Syrians, all, all Arabic population. It's a very huge Arabic population that's been there forever. Um, not, only are they, not only are they big, but they're very well organized. Um, they're very well economically funded because the, you know, they have businesses. Um, uh, they have political power. So those, that culture, that, that Arabic demographic in that area, 
are some of the biggest helpers for the Latino immigrants and the Latino culture. Why? Because they they understand the struggle. They knew, and I go back to the thing. They know what it. They know the struggle that it was to build what they have, right? To to have the to have the economic power that they have out there. To have the you know the political power. To have the organized you know the the uh, 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 the nonprofit organizations and the you know and the and the grassroots um, uh, organizations that they have, right? So they're they're so powerful. They're so well connected that they're like you know what. We know, we know, we know what steps you have to take. We know, we know what you have to do to succeed, or or or, or to or to do better for yourself. So that that's what I mean. That's the advice I have by you know to the new immigrants, wherever you're at. Look, look at what other culture, what other immigrant culture, whatever immigrant demographic has the most uh, uh, um, uh, uh, economic, political power in your area, whatever it be. It could be Latino, it could be Arabic, it could be um, uh, uh, it could be African when you're talking about like Minneapolis for some, you know, you know, you see how strong the, you know, the, the, the African uh, Muslims are, you know, they, they elected, uh, you know, the first Congresswoman. So like they have power, there's power there. Um, if you're Eastern European or you're Latino, reach out to them because I guarantee you, I guarantee you, they are not going to close the door because they know the struggle. They know that they know that you're a first generation immigrant. They know they know what you're going through, and they're going to do the best they can to help you. So that that's the advice I have: is reach out. That's very interesting. Reach out, especially with this culture, because um, for me, my experience with Arabic culture is uh, uh, this is a culture that doesn't accept everybody. And uh, they have their own religion. They have their own oh, yeah. uh, and politics, what have you. And uh, this is quite interesting. This is something yeah. you I'm learning that they yeah. Embrace. So they will. They're not gonna. They might not accept you as an insider, but they're not gonna close the door. They're not not you know. They're not not gonna help you. Is what I'm saying. If you reach out to them and say, you know what, I'm having a problem with this, or this is going on, or how do I you know, my landlord is doing this or my job is doing this because of, you know, of my faith or, or my, you know, because I'm whatever, like, you know, they're, they're going to show you how they're going to, they're going to take you, you know, they'll point you to the right direction. You know, they might not necessarily bring you in as an insider and things like that, but they're, they're, they're definitely not just the Arabic culture, but even, you know, even Latinos are the same way, you know, we're, we're very, you know, uh, um, iso you know, isolated culture as well. You know, it's hard for you know, uh, for some, you know, to let to let outsiders in. But I've never seen them really close the door to another. You know, at, at least at least in my general. Uh, and I have, I have like, uh, okay, you know, go. And I have the perfect uh, go proof. I have the perfect uh, proof of that. Uh, past Sunday, I got the invite to the uh, Hispanic church. Mm. And I decided to uh, get that cultural experience. And, um, you know, I, I was well accepted, apart from the fact that um, I couldn't understand um, anything. I mean, some words in Spanish. Of course, You're right. But the entire service uh, and everything and the entire communication was uh, in Spanish. 
Mm-hmm. Some people um, would approach me and they greet me and introduce uh, themselves speaking Spanish and my eyes probably were so big and they realized right. I speak Spanish and I just said, no comprendo. <laughs> right, 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 absolutely. Uh, but they did a fantastic job. They um, assigned that uh, wonderful um, student to me and she interpreted the entire service for me. Uh, which I'm very thankful um, about because it was a fascinating service about a woman, um, about uh, needy hearts, when women have needy hearts or thirsty Mm. hearts. It Mm -hmm. was a beautiful service. I really enjoyed that. And this girl, she did an excellent job with interpreting. And um, um, coming back to the linguistic point, uh, to what we talked about earlier, I felt stupid because I couldn't understand anything. And oh, I, that's all right. And I'm thinking about all those other languages and people uh, being in the medical uh, situation when they have a medical condition or problem and they don't speak the language. That's a lot of stress. Yeah. So, but the main point when I was there uh, at the church, um, I felt respected and accepted because that girl that was on stage, the hostess, um, she, um, she did her speech in Spanish and then she acknowledged me that I didn't speak Spanish. Um, and she did the same thing in English English from the stage. And when we had lunch, I sat at the table with those, um, women, they spoke Spanish and then uh, they did a great job with, interpreting all that uh into english for me that was Mm. another great uh huge piece of respect for me so um what i'm trying to say i i didn't feel isolated i was accepted absolutely and i saw um how they function how they talk all their families their kids their traditions it was beautiful and Mm -hmm. i think that being in America, living in America, we should do this cultural exchange more and more and Absolutely. go to different churches or go into different communities and expose ourselves to different cultures. Because um, I don't want, for example, um, to limit myself just within the Russian culture or American culture. My networking uh, system um, has people and friends and acquaintances from different nationalities. And I enjoy all of them. Sometimes it's awkward. Sometimes it's interesting. Sometimes I don't understand because right. the culture is different. That's how they speak. That's how they think. But overall, I think this is the beauty of the country, of, of, of the cultures in this country. Absolutely. Absolutely. No, I totally agree. I totally agree. I've, I've you know, very few i've i've never not felt accepted you know in 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 a lot of other places that i've that i've went here so yeah i i totally i totally get it i totally you know get why why it's important for all of us to connect and inhabit these things i mean cross cultural education is is huge it's important um it is yeah uh, for us, yeah, it's it's it, it's important for us to grow as a as a society, you know, as as Americans, because that's just the way it is. I mean, we're the fabric of this country, 
Um, you know, we're the ones that make this country run, you know, all, all, all of the different cultures. So absolutely. I mean, you know, strength in numbers. That's what I say. Strength in numbers. I mean, if you know, I think a lot of, a lot of times it's, 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 it's easy, you know, for the people in power to keep us divided because of our languages and our cultures and our religions and our faiths. Um, but little by little, you know, when you cross culture, all of that, you realize that they're not really that much different, you know, than, than what we feel or believe, you know? So I, I, I remember hearing, you know, I, I remember when I grew up, my family's Catholic, you know, they're the very devout Catholics. And, you know, they, you know, I remember a lot of the prayers and the things that they, that they said. And as I got older and I started meeting, you know, people of the Islamic faith and just started to hear their prayers, they're very similar in, in like the base, the base of it is very similar. Of course, it's two different religions, but I mean, they're pretty much asking, you know, they're pretty much asking for the same thing, which is just strength. I need, you know, I need this this deity, you know, I need this, this higher power to give me strength. And that's the base of it. You know, I mean, that's the base of it. And I realized that they're not, it's not that much, you know, it's really, there's, there's, there's really not big of a difference in, 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 in what, what they want that higher power to, to, you know, to provide them. Um, they're just asking in different languages and they're just asking in different ways, but it's pretty much the same. And that always surprised me. I was just like, that's awesome. You know, like, that's just awesome. <laughs> and I, I can confirm that because there was a point uh, in my life when I um, got interested in the different religions being here. And mm -hmm. I decided to go from one church to another church and just sit there uh, through the service and see how I feel. And, uh, basically uh, trying to figure out uh, what's the difference. Yeah, and um, sometimes it just um, um, I went there on my own. Um, another church I was brought um, by by somebody, but uh, sitting there during the services, I realized the same thing. We're basically praying or asking for the same thing, and we're preaching the same thing. We want people to be uh, healthy, our family to be healthy. We of want. Course. Uh, peace we want um, all these good things and we thank the higher power for everything we have it just every different uh, religion does it in its own way exactly yeah absolutely and um, it's fascinating how different and uh, similar we are at the same time and absolutely. We, I, I realize this even more here in this country in America absolutely so many cultures Absolutely. And I think the sooner we realize it and the sooner we, 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 um, you know, we're able to project that then the better we're going to be as a society, exactly. you know? the better we're going to be as Americans, just plain and simple. That's just the way it is. You Stronger, know? Yeah. So. Well, it was a wonderful interview. Absolutely. I, I thank you. Enjoyed. And, um, uh, thank you for your passion. Um, and thank you for thinking globally. I really like this. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Very globally. And uh, you want to make a difference um, by helping others. And when you help people around you, those people will help uh, people around them. And overall, the world will be a better place. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. And I, yeah. And I, I really hope I cross my fingers mm -hmm. for the interpreter tab. And um, I, I hope that it will help millions of people as well. Yeah, I hope so too. That's what we're, that's, that's, that's what we're hoping for. So yeah, thank you. Thank you.